Re is a podcast brought to you by New Heights Church, a church located in Mission, BC, focused on being church with mission in mind. We acknowledge that we gather, live, play, and worship on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Stolo First Nation. We are your hosts, Greg Elford and Jess Steffick, and this is the Re Podcast, the prefix that hopes for more than we had before. Today, the Read Podcast is continuing in on our discussion around the theme of vocation and calling. Whether we felt a clear sense of direction for the majority of our lives, or have wandered between different jobs, passions, and directions, most of us can identify with the struggle to find meaning in the things that we find ourselves doing, often which includes things like buying groceries, sweeping the floor, or sitting in traffic. Today, we have two guests from the New Heights community, Jordana Hood and Mike Abercrombie, one a mom of three in the middle of discerning what God might be asking of her life, the other a dad of grown children nearing retirement, both with unique perspectives and experiences of the different ways that vocation takes form. First up, we welcome Jordana Hood, who talks about the ways that she has thought about vocation when life ended up taking a different path than what she was, and I use air quotes, vocationally trained for. Well, hey, Jordana, great to see you six, actually more than six feet away. I am not wearing my glasses and I can barely see you. Just kidding. But anyways, that's all to say. Welcome here. It's good to have you. Thanks. Uh, It's good to be here. Thank you for that pity response. That was great. All right. Well, to kick us off, um, chatting about ways that vocation and calling are touching down in your life these days, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, whatever is meaningful to you. Um, We'd love to hear about it. Not to emphasize the fact that we are human doings, as Gareth talked about in our podcast last week. Um, We recognize that we're human beings, but if you just say, I am we don't really know anything about you still. So, all that to say, Jordana, tell us about you, the different roles you play in life, or how you find yourself spending your time these days. Okay, Um, well, my name is Jordana, and I've been part of New Heights Church for a very long time. Um, Let's just go with that, because I can't think of numbers right now. I am a wife for 18 years, I think, this year. Yep. Go with, that's a good number to go with. You're, you're just crushing the numbers. Yeah, 18 years this year. I've got three kids. Um, Matthew is 15, Ben is 12, and Chloe's 10. Um, we just adopted a cat after years of me saying, no, I have enough animals to clean up after. Um, but my daughter, who's 10, just wore me down and wore us down, and yeah, it was just, like, everywhere. I want a cat. Everywhere we looked, it said, I want a cat. I want a cat. So, now we have a cat. Like, she was writing this on stickies? It was on, uh, there was a couple stickies, but her phone's lock screen had a picture of a cat, and it said, I want a cat, and we literally called her the crazy cat lady that doesn't have any cats. Hilarious. (laughs) I should try that on my husband. <laughs> yeah, it works eventually, apparently. But let me preface, not for a cat, but uh, for a dog. Yeah, <laughs> good luck with that one. Um, so that's us. We have lived in Mission for, well, I've lived here for 18 years. I grew up in New Westminster and a little bit in Vancouver. Um, what else? I have been involved in our school, our school's pack. Um, my kids have gone to Strong Start and tons of other uh, community and kids programs here in Mission. We, yeah, I don't know, we just moved uh, houses a couple years ago. After building our first house, um, we moved into a very old house that needed a lot of renovations. And we have spent the last two years fully immersed and living in that renovation of a 1940s house 
where we gutted the entire thing and actually took off the entire third floor and rebuilt it. Um, all while living there with all of our stuff in because my husband is one of the cheapest men in mission and doesn't want to rent a storage pod or spend money on anything he doesn't have to. <laughs> yeah, that's my kind of guy. Way, uh -huh. to, way to go, Tom. Um, so, yeah, I've been involved in school stuff, uh, Young Life, our church. Um, Oh man, it is hosting international kids. Just trying to think about like everything that I've had my foot in at some point in the over the years. Well, maybe I can uh, press more to the point of all the different because I I, th I know that about you. You've worked at Leps Market. Mm -hmm. You've um, been a volunteer in Young Life and at the the Parent Advisory Committee, as you mentioned, for mm -hmm. the school. And it just seems like you're always lending your time and yourself to these different ways of contributing to a whole bunch of different kinds of communities. And so that's why we thought you'd be such a good person to um, talk to as it relates to vocation and this kind of passion that we have um, that expresses itself. First, kind of that primary calling of um, being committed to, to God or following Jesus if we're a Christian. And then the, pr the secondary aspect of like learning how you uniquely do that. And so I'm curious in the different things that you've been up to in the last few years, or maybe even in contrast with where you thought life would go, are there some things you're learning about when you're most in your groove or kind of what you really enjoy or find meaning in? Um, well, I guess I should start off by saying I went to university for, fa studied fashion design, um, started at Kwantlen in Richmond, and then had Matthew and so transferred out to UFV so I wouldn't have to be commuting and it was closer. Um, so I did, yeah, I did all of that and I did work in the industry for a little bit. We had little children throughout that. I do not recommend going to school and having children. I had a three, no, yeah, three-year-old and a one-year-old when I graduated and went, was like doing full-time school and a month after graduating, found out I was pregnant with my daughter, and I was already working as a costume designer for a theater company. Um, over the years, I, while my kids were very little, I did work doing uh, work as a costume design for theater companies. I've done, oh, so much uh, renovate, not renovations, <laughs> alterations. Uh, alterations on wedding dresses and making dresses for wedding parties. And that part, I love creating and sewing, but it just became work, and it wasn't fun. It was actually so stressful to have to get, to take on these projects, but then have little kids and swim team and all of these other things that my kids were in, and having to balance and juggle all of that, it just was too much. And the people I was working for were just not grateful. They were unhappy stressed out it was making me stressed out and I just kind of dropped it and just stopped doing it I didn't want to sew or do any of it it was just boring and it also got me thinking about how just the fashion industry and clothing industry it didn't speak to my heart it it was so it is very negative it is very um there's just so many so many negative aspects to the industry and it just wasn't what I wanted to be involved with anymore. I still sew and I like creating things and making things for my kids and it's a good skill to have but I just didn't want to be in that world anymore and so. Well I want to jump yeah. in there <laughs> like that must feel a bit um, like you lose your equilibrium there when you realize something that you thought because it's a vocational kind of connection that you love making things and creating. Mm -hmm. But then when you try to turn it into an occupation, it's almost like it sucked the life out of it. Was that, uh, was that tough to come to that realization that occupation doesn't always uh, present as the best way to really combine something that you thought you'd love if you did it all the time? Like, or like how did that go sideways for you? It didn't really. I just, 
I think it had run its course. And I'd done, I'd done some stuff with it, and I can still pick it up whenever I want to. I have all the equipment to work on that. But it, it just didn't. It, I, was, I was done with it, and I was fine with that. And because other things, I started to like see other things that I was interested and passionate about coming up and just kind of falling into place as my kids were getting older and getting involved with young life. It was just kind of an easier transition. It was just part of what my kids were into. Um, and then mm, going to get a job, like I was working at LAPS th- for the past year. And, and just for people that aren't from here, wh- what right. is LEPS? Like, what so were you doing? LEPS is a farm market. Um, it's just across the river in Abbotsford, 20 minute drive away. Um, and they just sell local produce and foods. And I worked in, they have a cafe and kitchen, and I worked there doing prep work. And it was a great place to work. I loved the people, I loved what they were doing, and the environment. and the support that they just gave to the community. Um, but it was, and it was great. And it was interesting because I started working there and then two months later, the pandemic hit and we had to just kind of adapt. And um, the interesting thing is, is there, if there wasn't a pandemic, I probably would have had to quit a lot sooner. But because of the pandemic, my kids were home. So there wasn't any schedule going on. Um, as things started to open up again, um, it just wasn't working with my family's life and schedule because um, it was set. I had to be at work um, evenings and weekends, and that's when my kids are home. So I wouldn't get to see my kids. My husband would have to leave work to pick up our daughter, which doesn't make sense because he earns a lot more than I do. And so I just decided it was just enough. I'd had an experience, and it was great. Um, but it also wasn't part of what I was passionate about, except the people. I like the people, uh, but it wasn't fulfilling like my heart. It was just giving people coffee and making it doing what I do at home, which is prep food <laughs> all the time. Well, pressing into that a little bit, I would love to hear. I mean, sounds like what you originally went to school for wasn't quite. Uh, hitting where you felt called at the time or wasn't quite working with your lifestyle and and maybe same with your most kind of recent job before that. So what would you say then looking back and maybe looking forward, what's something or I don't know, some way to articulate a way that vocation has been consistent throughout your life, no matter what occupation you're doing, what's something that you've held to as maybe even just a metric for understanding how you do what you do. Okay, so a vocation that, or an aspect that's just been current throughout my life has been helping people, giving them help and resources, sharing things that have worked for me. Um, it just helps in the community and just people I meet. I just talk with them in the superstore <laughs> lineup. It drives my kids nuts and my husband, who's an introvert. He's like, why do you just talk to everybody? I'm like, because I want to share what <laughs> I know works or what's helped or, yeah, just share and help. Um, and it's just something that has, it's evolved over time. And as I've kind of, the older I get, the more I see how it's all interconnected and how uh, my experiences with mental health, my experiences with my, experiences with my children's mental health, working through the systems with that has just, it's impacted how I see the world, it's impacted how I want to shape the world. And like I said, with fashion design and all of that, and even working at LEPS, it was not, my sort of yardstick to measure what I like and what I'm doing, and if it's what God wants me to do, is am I helping? Am I supporting the people around me? Am I supporting humanity to do better and to get better? And if I'm not, if it doesn't feel like all the way through my body that this is right, then I have to stop it because it makes me stressed and overwhelmed. And that's not good. That's not self-care. So I just, my goal is to help people. And if I'm making money, great, and helping my family, great. But if I'm not, I don't care. I want to help people. That is my goal. And I know that 
finances have been a struggle in our family to getting help. It's been a barrier for getting some of the help that we needed. And I want to make sure that if I can help people and for free, then that's what needs to happen. Our society has become about everything being so commercialized and everything costs money. And it's not helping, it's hindering. And so that's what drives me, is helping and creating possibilities and opportunities for other people to get better and find help and just find their purpose in life. Uh, what I love that you're, I'm hearing you say right now is, is maybe, yeah, vocation is not the same as occupation or what we do nine to five or how we get paid but you're really pressing into the heart of what we're talking about here, which is that vocation is maybe just a life. Like vocation is, is why we are, you know, kicking right now. So I like what you're saying there. Yeah. And it's cool to have the broad stroke, like helping people is, has to be part of the formula of whatever I'm doing or else eventually it's not going to feel meaningful. I wonder if just for other listeners that are processing their own vocation, if it might be good to look at a couple of terms. We've been playing with uh, Sky Jathani's three sort of lenses to look at ways to live into vocation, particularly in that secondary calling of how we uniquely are wired to be a contributor to the world we live in. And he talks about order. He talks about um adding order in sort of how the world is flourishing so we can be helpful in providing order or or enhancing beauty or seeing abundance and i'm curious if when you when you think of one of those three words if one of them um, is one that you just instantly gravitate toward or if you see elements of all of them in different ways that you've been involved helping folks okay um the Order and beauty, definitely. Abundance is like I just, eh, maybe it'll come. Um, the order, what I do now is I work at an elementary school as a noon hour supervisor. And I started doing that while I was still at LEPS, which having that job kind of le- also led to my LEPS job not working so well. Just because I'm working in the middle of the day, it's one hour to, I go in and I, hang out in a couple classrooms, make sure the kids are eating lunch. And then I go outside and we hang out on the playground and make sure that they are being as safe as possible within reason. Um, I think so we should mention my son oh is yes. one of the people that you supervise. Yes. So I'm, I understand the challenge that you have. <laughs> uh, yeah, your son and your daughter I supervise. There you go. Daily, I see them and inter- hang out with them. Um, so there, it's at the school, it, big part of my job is sustaining order. Um, and through that, there's beauty. Um, helping the kids to interact respectfully and helping them to see each other and themselves and just recognize their gifts and their potential and showing them that because... There are so many places in this world that take that away from them or tell them lies. And I work with six and seven-year-olds, and they are believing these lies. And so for me, my God calling is to disprove that and show them what God, how God sees them um, in my own way. And I think that the order and the beauty there at the school, just what I can provide is just um I guess it is creating abundance um with all of these little kids running around and learning and then taking it home with them is my hope that some of the things that they've learned can just kind of seep into who they are and what they take to their homes and their families and how they interact with the other kids that they come into contact with I would love if you comment on on this. Uh, like when you meet a mom who's feeling like they're just changing diapers, they're making maybe are at home more often, and so are doing their more of the share of the cooking or cleaning, or some of the homemaking tasks. I guess is a way we could say it. Um, 
and they're starting to feel like there's no purpose in it. Do you have a, a way that you would approach someone in that stage of life um, as far as helping them understand how vocation can shift perspective? I do now. I wish I'd known this when my kids were little, but it's, it's not possible. I don't know very many people or very many moms that are in that stage that can see out of that stage. It's just, yeah, it's just not possible. Um, but in reflection, what I can share is, I think it's age old to just look, stop, take a deep breath and like enjoy it because it'll be gone. And not that it's gone, it just changes and it's different. And um, when I was in it, I would try to remember to be thankful for, have, for having towels to fold and grateful that there are messes because it means I have kids and they're learning and thriving. Um, but honestly, most days it's hard to see that. But I guess just to remind us to pause and just look around just to, to do that because pausing taking a deep breath and looking around can take you out of the situation enough to see the situation and to be grateful for just little tiny things and if you can do like a little gratitude check every day on little tiny things it just builds up over time thanks for that Jordana I appreciate uh maybe just a bit of a, the reality check which is a lot of our vocation is lived out in doing the things that humans have to do. So I think that's a really good grounding for us as we um, not only press into the exciting changes of jobs and opportunities, but it's that invitation to also press into being present and experiencing God in maybe the more unsuspecting ways. So I appreciate that you're touching down on that. Thanks for being here. Thanks for, for sharing a bit of how God's been, uh, I guess, at work in your life. So thanks. Yeah, it was really great to be here. And I love sharing. I just love sharing with people. And I hope that someone else out there gets something from this. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. Thanks so much, Jordana. Next, we're chatting with Mike Abercrombie, who opens up about a major life decision that came up in the latter half of his career life, one that posed an opportunity and challenge for stepping into his vocation. Well, welcome, Mike. Good to see you and have you here. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, to kick things off with you in this interview today, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, about you, about your life, what's maybe important for listeners to know about you in diving into this topic of vocation. So I guess whatever's meaningful, let us into it as much as you want. Well, thanks, Jess. I, I'll start with what I'm mo most proud of or thankful for is my, my family, my wife. Um, I've been married 34 years and we have five children and um, I've been I've been a came here um, in 1990 and began a career as a teacher and that's been another thing I'm really thankful for. I'm coming to the to the latter part of that career and currently a principal at one of the elementary schools in in Mission. I'm a lover of sports. Um, I enjoy reading and. I'm a member of New Heights community, so it's... So do you think you're going to get in trouble if you don't mention your grandkids? Yeah, <laughs> I will, but the, I can't, I lose all, all sense of objectivity when I mention them. I probably have the most cute, brilliant grandson that a person has in maybe the Fraser Valley. No, his, na his name is uh, his name is Christian, and he's my middle daughter's child. And my eldest son has uh, a daughter, and one of my sons has a dog. So I've got um, a grand dog and two grandchildren. So yes, I would have gotten in trouble. Thanks. No, I'm just glad we could uh, we could hear about the Fraser Valley's greatest kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So um, we we know a bit of your backstory, and so wanted to kind of open up a decision that you were presented with, I think around five years ago. C 
Can you can you maybe help listeners know what we're talking about around a decision where occupation uh, choices in your occupation presented themselves, and suddenly vocation or um, knowing yourself and knowing your passions and knowing your calling were, was a really helpful way in making that decision? Yeah, I was in January of 2016, I was a vice principal at, um, at one of the elementary schools in Mission and was called into the principal's office um, and said that there, we would like you to go out to uh, a small rural um, school and be the interim principal there because we think your skill set matches what that school needs and I was surprised and of course I was going to do it but um, in the course of going out there it was all they also told me that we realize you've been at uh, another elementary school and I'll, I'll use the names because I don't think it's private but one was DeRoche out in the valley and that was the little one and then I'd been a teacher at Hatsik Elementary in Mission for 22 years and so when they said that we'd like you to be an interim principal at DeRoche and then we would like you to take on the Hatsik principalship um, the next fall so the fall of 216 it was like a dream absolute dream um, to be asked to be a principal of a of a school that I'd been at for so long and um, so there wasn't really a decision at that point because going to help out for for six months is what you do Okay, so just, just to be clear then, the, the DeRoche School and the Hatsik School, would you say they're similar? Like, is it a similar post? You said it's one's rural, one's less rural, I guess, right in town. But like, as far as the identity of the school or the, the way that you would do your job, was it like apples and apples or were there, was there a big difference? Well, I, I didn't really know, that I knew Hatsik, I didn't really know what was required of DeRoche. And um, I knew that Hatsik was a, uh, a, a really successfully run school, a great staff, and so it was, that was a known. What was unknown was what was going on at DeRoche, and they said we, we would like someone a little older, and with your skill set, kind of stronger at the people end of things, rather than that they, at the managing uh, a huge high school type of skill set. Um, we, we think that you'll go there and help out with a principal that had been had been on medical leave, and and uh, so that principal there and I switched jobs, and um, she be and so yeah, I kind of lost your question there. <laughs> no, it's just just sort of uh, like thinking about what it's like to be in your shoes, thinking Deroche, um and I guess at this stage in the story, you're going to go to DeRoche, and then the hope was the following year at Hatsik. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't it eventually kind of come down to choosing between the two? It did. It, it was like Hatsik was my fiancé, and, um, and I, who I adored, but I met another girl <laughs> <laughs> before, before getting married, and... And I got to DeRoche, and it just was pretty obvious that um, that this is thrilling. This was a thrilling experience, and really matched many things that had happened in my life up till then. Still, a very difficult decision because it was it was a matter of saying no to something that I really felt was um, was a good, safe option versus a risky or riskier option. And was I just was I was I emotionally involved in Deroche because of it seems so much potential, or and was not maybe exercising the, a rational decision, and so that's what brought up the criteria of what is calling, etc. Oh, I I can just feel that tension knowing the knowing the experience of having two great options. Yeah. Both of them having um, really, really good reasons and then having to kind of choose and knowing that you're saying no to one of the things you'd really love to do and yes to the other. Either way you, you pick. So maybe before you tell us how, what you chose, 
um, which I guess maybe we already know that yeah. from your intro. Kind of took this. Is, yeah, but maybe we could uh, maybe we could back up a bit and and you had mentioned that you felt like you'd been prepared for decisions like that through the course of your life. What do you think you would point to as some of the major moments in that preparation? For me, it was um, taking the time to not make the decision right away and asking for wisdom and vision that maybe uh, exceeded what I could really see at the time. I, I think that, the, that it wasn't as critical a decision as, let's say, someone who's leaving a secure financial situation to go out and start a, a startup. It wasn't because I was going to get paid uh, what, in either decision. I think what... Um, so in making it, it was, uh, it was relying on, um, on asking, saying, um, what, has what, what has guided me until this point? And then, and then uh, having a sense that, that you would be, that if you make a decision in, with the best of criteria, that you're going to make a good decision. So what, what would be some of the things you look back on as um, lessons that helped you kind of get your guiding muscles uh, in the right shape for making decisions going forward? Like were there things that happened in younger years that were instructional in that? Yeah, I, I think, it, I think to the best analogy for, um, for me was for the analogy to me is like I, I had a pickup truck in high school. My dad was concerned that we were, my brother and I were going to buy hot cars, so we went and said, I'll buy a, a pickup. And um, very smart decision because it had lots of nicks on it. Anyway, it was like I was driving the pickup and I was prepared to pick up a hitchhiker and have him come into my cab and give me good advice, good ethical advice. He, and but I still held the wheel. And as a, as a person in their 20s, fairly accomplished, done what, 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 done what I was told, got a good education, really a good, looked like a good future, but I essentially was driving that pickup into the ditch. And it didn't matter who I had as a hitchhiker, uh, I was driving into the ditch. And I came to that conclusion uh, as a, person in my mid-twenties, having had a good upbringing, loving parents, uh, good education, I came to that conclusion that maybe there was this other dimension was also someone, something that you could look for in terms of having a little bit of hand on that wheel. <laughs> in fact, when I, to complete the analogy, it was like the next time I saw who I understood to be God, um, consistent with my background and and I said yeah I, I think I'd like to hear more from you and stop my pickup truck now as I understood it more instead of the person opening up the passenger side it came around on the other side and that was a huge shift to be able to say um, I I needed to relinquish control of the wheel and I did that as a 24-year-old at the kind of the end of my education, and I look upon that as a as a soup as a critical turning point in my life, and one where the criteria allowed me to say in subsequent decisions on who to marry, what job to take, uh, how to raise kids, how to use time and money. I can think back to that as is is then saying well. I better talk to, 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 I better get advice from someone that I, from some thing and some ethic, some person, I believe it's a person um, that, that I have, that has been guiding me all this way and which I can't argue has done a, the, the truck hasn't hit the ditch. <laughs> not not easy, but I haven't driven it into the ditch, you know. Despite being on some slippery roads, or they feel slippery yeah. here and there, it's kind of switching um, seats with the, who's the driver and who's the passenger. Like, I'd love to hear, and maybe we stay with that metaphor, or maybe we go somewhere else with the <laughs> secondary part, but how does that express itself in your particular uniquenesses? 
you know, so it's to say that not every person who relinquishes control will be kind of um, uh, heading in the same direction. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear a bit about the subjective side of who you were uniquely made to be and how you've seen that work into that decision. Yeah, thanks. It's a it's pretty, pretty incredible to get to talk about yourself for a while, but thank you. <laughs> um, so for me, the uniqueness was... Um, it was liberating. And my situation was is that I was brought up in a, like I say, a wonderful home, but there was definitely, uh, you know, sometimes the, the, the culture is one which um, I, need, I maybe took too seriously, took it too far, and the culture of the home was that you use your talents and that you go as far as you can in terms of career because that's the way you're going to contribute to society. That's, that's the best use of your talents. And the fact that, and there was a bit of a spiritual element to it, but there's also quite an ethic that, you know, a doctor is, is a better use of a person's talent than a lawyer, and a lawyer is better than an engineer, and an engineer is better than a teacher. And so there wasn't so much in my... Um, background, uh, find what you're good at, find what you want to do. It was more like find, go as far as you can in this kind of culture of uh, what I sort of that, what I just expressed, kind of like be as, be as impressive or as, as uh, dynamic, as, as accomplished as you can. Mm. And so that background for me was, you know, um, parlayed it into get, get into, you know, I couldn't be a doctor, but go be a lawyer. And because that's a very impressive, highly responsible, prosperous, very respectable profession, which would bring and did bring a great deal of pride to my parents. And they're great parents, and I love the fact that I could make them proud. And they're and it wasn't easy to become a lawyer. I didn't get in on my first crack after my finished my degree, but I went back and took an extra year and got into a, a good, prestigious law school in Eastern Canada and was delighted that I could be a delight to my parents. And, and friends were impressed. Wow, you know, Mike, we didn't think he was that smart. And, and you know, that um, was very but. The, the problem was is that I, I, was, I, was, I was trapped. I had really no intrinsic interest in spending hours and hours and hours studying details. And um, I know that's not all what a lawyer does, but I really respect the profession of law because they're in charge of the details, whether it's a land deal or a, an appeal of someone's criminal sentence, and they're super organized. And that's not who I was. I was... I was uh, I was a I was a people person, and uh, I got my greatest my greatest in, uh, satisfaction is in is in is in uh, spending time and encouraging people and enjoying people and helping people, and uh, that just didn't fit. And yet, I I just couldn't bring myself to to accept. I had no interest in other professions like you know. Man, taking care of kids or, you know, just like, no, that's, that's not dynamic enough, you know. And so that was, that was my unique situation is that I was probably a miserable law graduate and sort of looked upon myself as, as and not really super smart and detailed. So I, I, I kind of felt like if I really wanted to have a family and nurture children, my own children, I probably couldn't do it and be a successful, I could be a, maybe a very mediocre lawyer, but I just saw the cost on families of, of people of that, that I've, that when I articled that, I just thought, I, you better be smart in this profession because y you have to spend hours at it. And uh, so how was I gonna quit? You know, mm -hmm. how was I gonna disappoint my family? How was I gonna turn my back on s s expensive education? And and became very disappointed with myself and despondent. And that's, that's when, through a set of circumstances, I, I found that, that this, other, this other dimension, Christ, and, and, 
and the little bit of Sunday school that I had that says that Jesus is the way and there's another way and there's another kingdom, there's another set of ethics, that when I felt the invitation to that, it was just like warm water going on a really parched desert. Mm. And it gave me the strength to, 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 to make that, sh that change. And, you know, it wasn't like there was, I had no idea what to do. All I did was I took a leave of absence from the, the legal profession, from a great firm that was going to hang in there with me while I was trying to figure it out. And I'm still on that leave of absence. So you can go back anytime you want. No. <laughs> well, let's just see. Yeah, I think, I think, I think yeah, age caught, catches up to you. But no, I, I felt like I was liberated. Yeah, I am so appreciative of you telling that story from this vantage point because probably the further distance in age that you got from that, so the years that go by, you appreciate differently the tensions and the turning point that that represented in your life. Um, and when I listen to you, it sounds like the culture that you'd grown up in and maybe maybe even put extra pressure on yourself yeah. was to uh, allow your ability to be kind of the ceiling that you reach for. And once you hit your ability, like you look look at the job you got and OK, well, I made it to lawyer, not quite a doctor, but that ain't, yeah. ain't too bad. So what what do you think? the measuring stick is when we're talking about vocation in terms of this other dimension, this other kingdom, if the measuring stick is no longer kind of competing to prove that you've arrived at uh, kind of the pinnacle of what you could accomplish, if that's not the, the end goal any longer, like how do you redefine that? For me, the, the, the metric is, and it's, it's not so much that I had that metric figured out at the time, but in looking back, that decision is that what I felt that I couldn't give myself anymore holding on to the wheel of my life was, um, was a, a sense of harmony with my, own, with my own abilities, a sense that I could, I could be a good dad and a good friend and that I could, I could be a good husband or a good mate, and um, that I could have a job where where I could laugh because I didn't feel under pressure. I could have a a job which I didn't have to scramble financially. That it, it, there was a sense that I could I could provide for the people I cared about. So th those are the the metrics um, that I look back on, and that I realize that I. I could never be happy as a person, let's say, that's, that's famous and very accomplished, but has a string of broken relationships and estranged children behind them. My greatest gift now is I feel like I've got a relationship with my wife and my kids, and I feel like I've got, um, I, you know, I've, I'm not a rich man, but I feel like I have enough, and I've been able to come up with emergency funds when they were needed, you know, and so, you know that's kind of the that's kind of that sense of balance and harmony, and I also feel, which is something that, is that you you there's something there's an element of of us that we want to do something that's more important than our life. Like my the sum total of my life isn't just my enjoyment of relationships, and then I die, or my the fact that I my kids will be at my deathbed and I we don't have to say sorry to each other. You know, it's something that I feel like I need that there was something deep inside me that was causing a restlessness and also almost a self-sabotaging was you got to be involved in something that's going to change the world. And that was a that was a that was a weird thing to try to deal with that 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 impulse um, because I didn't understand it and and I think Gareth said something that one thing the church can do is help give language to people to people's and that 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 helped me is that's another side of the element of the kingdom it wasn't it's almost like it was it was providing me with a life during my life that I wanted but it was also providing me with being a part of something that's 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 global and that's that transcends the importance of my own life you know which is yeah yeah and I, I love the I love that balance um, 
and and appreciate the way that you you reflect back on that and i guess so i guess sort of back to the point of where we started from it, it sounds like there was there were moments through your life and i'm sure there's many others where kind of that relinquishment of control that decision reared its ugly head again yeah and that and i don't know does that do you, let's let's ask that question before we get to which school you actually picked and why but um how, does it get easier I, th I think there's some familiar things the the decision to to retire is often one if i stayed a little longer the the retirement income would be higher but then asking yourself back to okay but who's in charge of my life and what am i what what is going to be the if the ultimate metric is is kingdom um and relationships which hopefully expand the kingdom then staying a not staying longer at a job than you then or or let's say what what whether retire or not retire um what is going to be the best for the kingdom what is going to be the best for relationships and if it, even if that's a cost to the financial side you could make a higher income for longer and that was the dynamic that was back at the decision that we're talking about is um is one school was more prestigious and but another school was i felt that the there was one school felt that, that you could have more of a, a impact on people because mm -hmm. it was a s smaller it's more intimate relationships there's one needed a great administrator one needed a, a an encourager of people you know and and then have courage to confront whereas one everything ran smoothly you know okay so i think we're all picking up on which one you pick um, <laughs> no, i think i gave it away that i ran away with the girlfriend yeah there you go which uh if you're just just jumping into this part of the podcast the girlfriend is a metaphor for the school so <laughs> just to keep that clear but um yeah so you you ended up falling for this other school oh big yeah and realizing that there was aspects of how you would be in your role there that are more suited to your uniquenesses. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Do you think it would have been wrong for you to go to the other option? Would it have been a would it have been a, a wrong choice, or would it have just not as been as meaningful? Um, I think this is where. Uh you know, I, if, if, if I'm kind of assuming a, a young person where the calling is a, like you've already made your general calling, but you're mm -hmm. looking for a specific one is that um, I've become I've had to as a principal, you face so many sticky little problems where you just got to close your door and say, I don't know what to do here. Or, or there's a there's like I do not want to. And just seeing the consistency of the person driving the pickup also helps you through the little problems so i think there would have been more ch more challenges that were out of my skill set at the bigger school i think i would have made it if it was the right thing but i i look back and i'm and i look at the principal that took that job instead of me and they've done such a marvelous job and they are that they're a much better fit and they've had to they're, you know, they're, I've got four classrooms, they got 14. And, and I've got lots of complex people issues and culture clashes that they don't, but I think I was prepared for my school and its challenges. And this person um, is, is, has done a marvelous job there that I don't think I would have done. So I, I couldn't see it at the time because I love the, I love to, go to the bigger ship in the fleet but now I just realized it was it was a good decision and I'm grateful so maybe I could end with this question uh, which knowing us will translate into multiple questions and for those of you wondering uh, Jess the co-host had to leave so that I'm not just hogging the mic here <laughs> but um, Mike I'm curious how what has been your role at the last five years at, at DeRoche as the principal what do you think it's preparing you for in retirement? Oh. Like as far as vocation being this through line or this thread that weaves its way through our chronology, 
Um, and, and what you know of people who've gone into that nebulous season <laughs> yeah. uh, that is so unlike uh, an occupational life. Um, what, do you, what do you anticipate are some of the themes that, yeah. might, that you might be being prepared for um, post-occupation? Uh, well, one of the greatest provisions of DeRoche was a retired couple who uh, were kind of related to my, in, to my, my children's in-laws. And this couple, she's in a wheelchair and he's got a pacemaker. And they come and they volunteer to read every day at the school, which is, to me, has been the most, the biggest biggest contribution to that community. They live on a reserve um, where a lot of our kids come and the, so the kids know them and they come out as, as 70 year olds and they come out every day. We have other people that come out once a week that, that uh, read to kids and I think they have inspired me to, for volunteerism. Whereas I, I think one of my greatest worries is that without, is finding satisfaction in that. So I think, I think it's, it's helped prepare me for the fact that don't look for another business opportunity. Don't, like, like you can really make a contribution to, to kids' futures by volunteering with them. And so that, that's helped. You know, I'm not sure that's the total answer, but that's helped. I think the intellectual question i've i've uh the the intellectual question of of how is how is the correct response of a european background person that i am to 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 first nations uh people that, that my school is 70 percent and i think that it's allowed me to 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 really uh see things at the ground level so I really feel passionate about about um, what does the king what does the king like our kingdom of God has a bad name in that community because of residential schools. But what does but there's so much uh, sown into their culture about that's similar to my culture that we both believe in the in a in a single God. We both believe that the importance for the single creator creator to send trans transforming influences that's a huge part of indigenous cultures the transformers is ale ales are called spelt with an x and of course our transformer is is jesus and so how is how is there going to be a recovery of the initial great attraction that indigenous people had to 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 the to this idea of, of a person that went to a cross to give his life for others and a, and a singer, how is that going to play out? Like, how can we recover that message, gain its credibility again, and be that, be that, uh, you know, so I, that's really an intellectual interest for me that I like to read about, and how that's going to play out in, in, because I certainly have relationships there. I can't see myself being a principal there much longer because it's of my age, but, um, but I certainly want, I certainly feel that there's, there's, connections in that community on, on those two things, volunteerism as well as, um, as I don't know, being, being understanding how that's going to, how that's, how we're going to recover, you know, that situation. Well, I'm hopeful that I get to observe what it looks like for you to move into that next season of life and not, uh, not get back in the driver's seat, but yeah. continue to allow <laughs> Uh, yourself to be who you are, who you were created to be, and step into the places that allow you to be that person. Yeah. And we're so grateful uh, on behalf of Jess, who had to, had to go, and, uh, and on behalf of myself, really, really grateful for the way you've opened up uh, not just the topic, but uh, your life story and how it's been fleshed out in your life. So thanks for being here, Mike. Oh, you're what a treat. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and a special thanks to Mike and Jordana for their time and willingness to share. Thank you to our silent sponsor and our very supportive church community. 
join us again in two weeks when the re-podcast wraps up our very first season, season one, with a look back at all the places we've been this year. This has been episode 19 of the re-podcast, the prefix that hopes for more than we had before.